Okay, this is our first um, conference, and uh, that means it's a little less work for you because you don't have to worry about going off and doing your, your meditation time and changing your whole heart. You get to just sit and listen. Um, although I keep telling people, why would anyone want to listen to me for six days in a row? It'd be pretty boring. So I understand if you get sick of it. <laughs> but take it or leave it, you know, take as much as you can from it. Um, an image came to mind uh, for spiritual things and receiving spiritual things. You know, if we spend a whole day and a whole six days uh, making the effort to listen and receive things from God, eventually we might get full. You know, it's like it's like a meal. Uh, you can only enjoy so much before you get stuffed and then it's not enjoyable anymore, right? So um, I think there's a little bit of wisdom in... Just, just taking your time and kind of uh, not, not thinking that you constantly have to be getting wonderful new lights from every, from every moment of the retreat, right? Uh, let, let God speak when he wants to and let it inspire you when he wants it to inspire you. And um, there's a, that image actually comes from one of the fathers of the church speaking about the sacred scriptures, how sometimes... You read a passage and you don't understand it. Um, and he says, it's like, it's like drinking from a fountain. You would never think that you can drink the whole fountain, like all of the water all at once. So just drink what you can right now and leave the rest to keep overflowing, right? God's graces are overflowing, right? Maybe we're not capable of taking them all all at once. So, so take what you can when you can. <clears throat> okay? Um, as I said before, this conference is about empathy and feelings and a way of prayer found in empathy. So I already spoke about how in St. Ignatius's invitation in the exercises, we're invited to apply our senses to the meditation and to imagine the thoughts of the people who are there and, and the words and the things they say and what's going on in the scene. Um, and it's clear that a deeper level of Penetrating that scene is, is understanding the feelings of the person that are, that are in the scenes. Um, and we're supposed to put ourselves there as if we're one of the characters or, or just an added person there. And I think that's a real uh, abil ability that we should, we should develop. Um, I mentioned as well the 30-day spiritual exercises, how it's really like living with, with Christ in those moments. I remember doing the, the meditation on the calming of the storm at sea, which I think we will do together. And, and that was um, like, it was like watching a movie, <laughs> like a really dramatic movie, you know, the waves and everything and, and the storm. And we got to spend a whole hour. Maybe that event took even less than an hour. So it was like, it was like real time. You know, we got to spend as much time meditating on it as it actually would have taken in, in that time. Um, no, we only spent 30 days, so we didn't get to spend like three years with, with Jesus the way his disciples did. Um, but it's, it's still something similar. Uh, you know, and that whole idea of, of pausing it and being with Jesus there in the scene and talking to him and even like, even like, uh, kissing his feet, you know, adoring him. 
Um, it's a real way of being in his presence, of being in his presence. So, uh, so the imagination is a great help. But I, again, I think there's a step further that we can take, which is rather than just imagining or seeing the externals, trying to get inside the hearts of the people, like we did with Mary in the last meditation, getting into their heart, um, involving the whole person, the greatest commandment that Jesus, in Jesus' words, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. He lists off parts of us that are supposed to love God. It's a way of saying you need to love God with your whole person, every part of you, uh, meaning not just my mind. So sometimes sometimes it's it's easier to pray with our mind or or with our words sometimes we we pray prayers where where we're just reciting words and it's still prayer we know that prayer when our mind is off somewhere else and we're just reciting words can be kind of empty and it might be debatable whether it's still prayer right but um and that our goal is to bring our mind to it but it's not just our mind either we need to bring our whole heart we need to bring our whole person into it so um bringing our whole person, even our emotions, even our sentiments, even our empathy into our prayer. I had a great experience when I did the spiritual direction certificate, which is offered at our university, at Divine Mercy University in uh, DC, Washington, D.C. And um, so it's, it was a course that we were asked to do uh, by our superiors. I had just finished my three years of theology plus two years of doing a master's in theology. And uh, at the end of my exams, I was like 33, still doing exams. I know, it's like crazy. <laughs> at the end of my exams, I was like, okay, I'm done. Finally, I don't need to study anymore. And I got to my first assignment as a priest, and they sent out a letter saying, all of the newly ordained priests should do the spiritual direction certificate at Divine Mercy <laughs> University. <laughs> so, so I got, uh, you know, God showed me that I wasn't done yet. Mm. But it was beautiful. And um, so Divine Mercy University specializes in training therapists, right? And um, it's like study of, of psychological sciences and things. So they, they bring together a lot of spiritual direction with the practices used in the, in the human social sciences, like, like therapy and counseling, right? Um, so they, they give like a, a real course on, on empathy and how to practice it, like when you're, when you're directing someone. Um, so I remember being kind of struck because there was this, in the chapter on empathy, there was this video they had us watch, which was like the difference between sympathy and empathy. And at first I was kind of like, oh, sympathy isn't all that bad, you know, it's a pretty good thing too, right? <laughs> but um, so the image they used was, it was, it was a, a cartoon with these little animals. And there was one of the animals was, uh, had fallen into a pit and was stuck at the bottom of this pit. And... Um, and his friend was up on, the, up on the edge of the pit, looking down into it. So sympathy is when the friend is up there looking down, saying, oh my goodness, you fell down into a hole. That must be terrible down there. <laughs> right? And, uh, and then empathy is when his friend climbs down into the hole with him and sits beside him. He says, man, it feels terrible being down here in this hole, doesn't it? Right? So that was a good image. 
Um, and in the course, we had to exercise it and practice it. So once you get into it, the truth is that you really start to feel the things that you're practicing. So we would have these um, scenarios that we would have to act out. The, the training in spiritual direction was done with one person acted as the director, the other person acted as a directee, someone receiving, and um, and they had they were given a scenario. Okay, so you're a young man whose mother just passed away, right? And uh, and then we would have a third person who's the observer, who gives both of them feedback afterwards on, especially to the director on how the on how the session went. Um, and in this session, we were we were the director was supposed to be practicing empathy, right? But I found that even the one who was acting, even when I was in the role of the person acting out the scenario, it was such an exercise in empathy because I had to imagine how this kid who just lost his mother uh, would feel and the sorrow in his heart. And I even had to kind of act it out in a way, right? So both of us um, would get the experience of exercising empathy and then, and then you know, being trained in how to show it and how to reflect it and the kind of questions that you ask and the sounds that you make and the way you look at the person and and all of that's being critiqued mercilessly all the time right <laughs> it was a great experience very very good learning experience um it's it's such a good course it's to the point where most of the people doing it uh afterwards they say i don't ever want to go back to spiritual direction the way i had it before you know because there's so much more penetration of the person when you allow uh, yourself to to be with them and to feel with them, um, you know, instead of instead of like taking a problem and trying to offer advice, being with the person, accepting that accepting that they're feeling terrible, they're whatever situation is going on, and and uh, allowing yourself to experience it with them and asking them more questions rather than giving them more answers, right? Um, it reminds me of that great classic video of the nail. You know, has anyone seen the, the little short video? It's not about the nail. No, I got one nod or two. It's um, a guy and a girl who are maybe husband and wife or dating or something. And she's just describing how terrible she feels. And she's got headaches all the time. And, and everything's going really bad for her. And, and he's sitting there listening to her. And you can tell he's thinking a lot, you know. So he's not really in the place of empathy. He's not really feeling what's going on in her heart. And then... Uh, and then at one point it zooms out and you realize that uh, this lady, this girl has a nail in her head, like a, in her forehead. It's kind of gross. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny though. So, um, and, and, uh, and he's, and he's like trying to gently suggest to her that maybe the cause of all these problems is the fact that she's got this nail and, and she has to get it removed. Right. So he like starts to suggest that maybe that's the way to fix the problem. And she yells at him. She's like, it's not about the nail. <laughs> and he's like, okay, 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 okay. Right? And, then, and then he's like, okay, let's, let's start over. Let's start over. And she says, it's just, I feel so, so terrible all the time. And he like, he's like, yeah, that must feel really bad. And she goes, thank you. And then she tries to give him a hug and the nail hits him in the head. So, <laughs> So it's a great image of the difference between, you know, listening and trying to fix someone's problems and listening to try to really, really understand them and be where they're at. Um, so I don't know. You're all women. And for me, it was a big eye opener. <laughs>
Um, but it was a great course, and and we found that at one point we had to go and do a, an on-site part of the course for a few days, and and it was very intensive. You know, the rest was all online. Um, so we were like doing doing those exercises four times a day, you know, where we'd be in a group of three and we'd each take a turn being the director for a spiritual direction session. So it was very intense and, and very emotionally taxing. Like it was very tiring. Uh, so that work of putting your, your feelings, your emotions into it um, is hard work. And it will be as well if you, if you try it during prayer. Um, now, I want to make a note that uh, this, this is important that we find a balance, right? Many of you might come from a, an experience in your spiritual life where you, you uh, thought it was all about feelings at one point, you know, and, and the amazing things God is doing in me and how wonderful I feel or how terrible I feel. I'm all in desolation and, and it's constantly feelings up and down and it wears you out and your, your spiritual life isn't really going anywhere. Um, that's not what we're aiming for, right? Uh, I think applying empathy to prayer is done kind of in the way that a, that a therapist would apply empathy to a session, right? It's not that you're overcome with emotion. Sometimes that happens. When giving spiritual direction, sometimes it happens that someone tells me a story that's so moving that it moves my heart with emotion, right? But the rest of the time, I'm applying empathy in a way that's using my will to do so. It's not just like letting go of Letting, control, letting go of control of my of how I'm feeling or what's going on inside of me, um, so so it's different from like, oh, I was just overcome by by God's powerful mercy and grace, which can happen sometimes, but if we live seeking that all the time, then we're not we're not uh, really praying, right? It's almost an insincere way of praying. We're we're praying as if to as, trying to get that feeling rather than rather than uh, being open to whatever God wants to give us, even if it's even if it's dryness, right? Now, if we're trying to apply empathy um, to a meditation, which is what I'm proposing, is very different from that. It's saying, okay, um, we're meditating on, let's say, Saint Peter after the resurrection when he has he's carrying all of the guilt of having betrayed or having denied Christ three times, and Jesus wants to speak to him on the beach. And forgive him. It's like, what does it really feel like to, to feel that guilt? It's different from doing a meditation where you just talk through it and think through it, right? You're using your you're using your emotions. Um, there's a great quote from the Catechism, uh, seventeen sixty nine in the Catechism one seven six nine. In the Christian life, oh, I believe um I didn't bring the, the handouts, but you might have some of these quotes. Okay. In the Christian life, the Holy Spirit accomplishes his work by mobilizing the whole being. Mobilizing the whole being with all its sorrows, fears, sadness, as is visible in the Lord's agony and passion. In Christ human feelings are able to reach their consummation in charity and divine beatitude. <coughs> charity and divine beatitude. So, so Christ, who was really human, but he was the perfect human, 
had strong emotions and experienced emotion. The, this number of the Catechism mentions both his passion, but also his, his divine beatitude and his charity. So uh, when Christ loves, when he exercises charity, he does it with all of his human feelings. He's able to love each person that he loves um, with a love that's full of human feeling. You know? uh, so I think, that, I think that we're called to like, you know, obviously Christ is our example and our model and he's the one we're trying to imitate. We want to feel like Christ feels. I'm going to quote that later on in the passage from Philippians. Have the same sentiments as Christ. Uh, we want to be able to feel as powerfully as he feels and as intensely as he feels, but also in a way that is, that is as controlled as, as he feels, right? He's able to apply the fullness of human feeling and emotion to uh, each instance, to each person, and to his love for each person. He's able to apply the fullness of human sadness and sorrow and pain in his agony and in his passion. Christ wasn't oblivious to it. When, when his friend Judas betrayed him and then came and gave him a kiss as a sign of betrayal, he felt in his human heart the fullness of the human emotion of betrayal. Um, so we have a great way of like um, connecting with Christ through the human emotion that he felt in our meditations and in our prayer. It's a beautiful way of penetrating deeply into, the, into those scenes that we're going to meditate on. Um, I, have, I gave this talk to the novices, and I have a whole bunch of quotes from our, from our spirituality. The Legionaries' um, document on formation um, echoes this in, like, I think I found, like, 10 different places. Uh, but there's, there's some that are really interesting. One is, one is where it talks about how, how priests are supposed to form a love for the church. And I think this applies to everyone, that our love for the church um, isn't just supposed to be a love that's, uh, you know, that's kind of intellectual. <laughs> Can love ever be intellectual? I mean, our love for the church is supposed to include, it says, uh, feeling all of her joys and sorrows deeply. When we pray for the church, we, we feel what the church is suffering, and we feel the joys of the church. You know, uh, sometimes I think that's that's helpful applying it to like when we hear news and things. You know, very time, very often I, I read things like uh, I don't know, a number of priests were ordained in Rome or something. You know, I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I should be rejoicing, right? Rejoicing with the church that there's there's this wonderful news, um, or when we read about like uh, persecutions. Last week, I was with a group of, of Chaldean priests from Iraq. And, uh, and the kind of stories they have of persecutions they go through. Um, you know, many of their families are, are moving to Canada, out of the United States, out of the country because, because of it's so hard to live as a Christian there. So do, do, we, do we let those things penetrate our hearts? Do we feel the sorrows with the rest of the church when we hear what the church is going through. That's what we need to form in ourselves, the ability to really um, let things touch us and affect us. There's another uh, beautiful way of doing this is in praying the Psalms. 
So in the church's document on how to pray the Liturgy of the Hours, which, which uh, priests pray every day, and many of you have probably prayed as well at times, um, it involves repeating the psalms throughout the day. And oftentimes there are psalms that reflect feelings that I am not feeling in any way at that moment. Uh, fear or disappointment or despair. Um, and here's, here's what it says. I'll read you this. Whoever prays the psalms in the liturgy of the hours does not say them in his own name so much as in the name of the whole body of Christ. In fact, in the person of Christ himself. If he keeps this in mind, difficulties disappear. Even if while I'm saying the psalms, his feelings differ from those expressed by the psalmist. For example, if we find ourselves praying a psalm of jubilation while we are worried or sad, or saying a psalm of lament, when in fact we are in good spirits. So praying the psalms with this attitude of empathy, that somewhere in the world, someone in the church is going through this, and I can pray it on behalf of them, or I can pray it with them, with my heart united to them. Um, Or the other way of looking at it is that it's the body of Christ, and Christ at some point in his life went through all of these all of these feelings. I'm feeling joyful right now, and the psalm is sad. Well, I recall how Christ felt sadness in that moment. Usually the Liturgy of the Hours has a bit of both of those aspects, the, the church and Christ, right? Uh, so that's a, that's a, a beautiful thing. Um, I think I skipped... I skipped the quote from 1770 of the Catechism. And I'll I'll bring this up now because there's another quote from Pope Francis that's similar to it. Moral perfection consists in man's being moved to the good, not by his will alone, but also by his sensitive appetite. As in the words of the psalm, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. So um, usually we consider how our will my ability to choose and to make decisions and to want is, is what moves me towards what is good. You know, uh, I want to fast on, on Friday because it's a good thing to do, and I'm going, to, I'm going to choose to do that. That's an act of the will, right? But moral perfection goes beyond that. Moral perfection is when there's also a desire. You also have the sensitive appetite. I also feel a longing for that good thing that I'm choosing. Okay, so um, maybe a better example than fasting because sometimes it's pretty tough to feel a desire for fasting, right? (laughs) But um, a good example might be, um, I know that it's morally good to serve the poor, to do, to, you know, give people at the street corner something to eat, for example. Uh, So I'm going to make the decision with my will that I'm going to do that. That's a very good thing to do, and it's, and it's right, and you're you know, gaining lots of graces by doing so. You've reached even better perfection when you feel a desire, a longing to serve the poor. Uh, when your sensitive appetite is also involved in it. You see the poor person, and you feel, oh, I, wish, I really wish I could give that person something. Right? It's uh, it's and then and then you do it with with the the sensitive appetite involved. There's more moral perfection in that. That's straight from 1770 of the Catechism. And then Pope Francis says this is from Amoris Laetitia. 
Um, we have to arrive at the point where the good that the intellect grasps can take root in us as a profound, effective inclination. That means, by effective, he means uh, the affections, our feelings, our desires, the longing in our heart. So it's not just that we, that we know what's good or that we want to do what's good, but it's that we feel the love for what's good. Right? It's that idea of the whole person, right? It really makes sense when you think about it. Like God, God doesn't want us just to think about things or just to will things. He wants us to, he wants us to use every part of our human person that He's given us, which includes the emotions, includes our, our feelings, right? Of course, always in balance and in and and in control, right? The balance between our reason and our feelings is very important here, right? That I'm able to I'm able to control it in a way. I'm able to keep myself from feeling too much or from going too far with with emotion um, I'm able to I'm able to direct it towards what's what I know is good instead of letting them run away on their own so we are supposed to reach the point where um, we can see things with the mind of Christ and feel things with the sentiments of Christ there is um, two good quotes from, from St. Paul about that. That's 1 Corinthians 2.16. Uh, is when he speaks about taking on the mind of Christ. And there he quotes Isaiah. Isaiah asks the question, Who has known the mind of the Lord? As if to imply that nobody really knows the mind of the Lord. And St. Paul counters that and he says, But we, we have the mind of Christ. So in the Old Testament, they might have thought it impossible to know the mind of the Lord. And yet Christ has granted us the ability to know uh, what's, what's in his thoughts. But, I, you know, that, that's, um, that goes complementary with Philippians, Philippians 2, verse 5, where he tells us to have the same sentiments as Christ. Identifying more with Jesus Christ, becoming more and more like him, means taking on his mind and taking on his sentiments and his feelings. It's really beautiful. This is what we know to be true when we, when we uh, study something. You know, uh, if you've encountered a, a priest right out, of his, right out of his seminary formation, right? He just finished all of his studies, but he doesn't have any experience yet. <laughs> and uh, I'm still growing in my experience too, right? But um, there's a big difference between having known something intellectually and having experienced it, right? So uh, that's what we're seeking in the Gospels. That's what we're seeking when we meditate on the Gospels. You can study the heck out of the Gospels and get to know a whole bunch about what's written there. Um, but in prayer and in meditation, we're trying to experience what happens in the Gospels. We're trying to to have the experience that Mary had or the experience that St. Peter had. Okay, now there's, um, there's a great thinker, Hans Urs von Balthasar, who, uh, who speaks about this. He speaks about how there are archetypes in the Gospels. So the different characters who interact with Jesus, you know, sure, it's something that happened and it's, and it's telling us the story of what happened. 
But it's not just that. Each of those people represents the way that we are supposed to interact with Jesus on a spiritual level in our spiritual lives. So um, I think I'd, I'd probably like to bring this up later on because it's worth giving more time and more meditation, meditation to. But the example he gives of Mary is really, is really beautiful for, for women and mothers because he says, what was Mary's first experience of Jesus? It was the baby in her womb. And her first experience of Jesus was feeling him kicking, moving around, you know, and, and that whole level of intimacy and, you know, intuitive knowledge between mother and child while the baby's in the womb, right? Uh, I don't know, you know, they say babies know their mother's voice before they're even born, right? Uh, and, and so that's, an, that's a model, that's like a pattern of one of the ways that we can relate to Jesus. Have you ever done a meditation of meditating on Jesus in, inside of you as if you were Mary? Whoa. <laughs> but, but he says that, he says that in, in a way, um, it's given to us in that way so that the experience that the people in the Gospels had of Jesus is like a model for how we can experience him in a way, in a spiritual way, obviously, right? Um, uh, yeah. And that's really beautiful. That's really beautiful. That involves letting your whole person be affected by, by the story, by the, uh, the word of God. Uh, tomorrow, I think, I will have the opportunity to share, to begin sharing about this uh, inner healing ministry that I mentioned. Um, one, of the, one of the big aspects of that ministry is treating the person as a whole. And how if you've got something, something broken in some part of your life, like let's say on an emotional level, um, it's all connected and your whole person is going to be affected by it. Your spiritual life is affected by it to some degree even your physical life, um, and how we can't, we can't treat those kinds of ailments um, in an isolated way. Sometimes when we do that, we end up treating symptoms of things instead of treating the real, the real core of the problem, right? So uh, treating the whole person as a whole, you know, involves, involves um, you know, every aspect of the person. So that's what we want to bring into our prayer, that whole person. Uh, God made the whole person to be in harmony, every aspect of me. That means my mind in harmony with my emotions, my emotions in harmony with my will, my will in harmony with my, with my body. All of it is meant to be in harmony. That harmony was wounded by original sin, so none of us are perfect, and none of us have, have perfect harmony between all of the parts of us. But that's what we're striving for. So, um, so that means bringing, bringing my emotions in a harmonious way into, into my prayer, into my thoughts, into my spiritual work. So I'd just like to wrap up here. What time? Okay, we're doing good. Um, with uh, these, are, I just have some notes from the course, from the spiritual direction course on empathy itself. Many of you probably know more about this than I do, and are probably way better at it than I am. <laughs> so empathy is feeling with the other person. It's feeling with the other person. And uh, they say it's important when you're exercising it intentionally to strive to, to, to feel, as the person's expressing to you what's going on, to strive to feel it without worrying about anything else. 
like the moment that we start to focus too much on how I'm communicating to them that I care about them or or thinking about what the source of their problems might be, it, it gets in the way of, of really understanding the person. Um, in prayer, that's not so much a problem because you're not actually talking to someone, right? St. Peter's not going to sit beside you and tell you how he feels. But if your imagination takes you that way in prayer, it can be a great way to pray. It can, and, I, and I think some of my meditations are along those lines. Like, sit down beside Peter and ask him to tell you what it was like. <laughs> um, great way to do it. But, but do it while, while, while feeling with him, right? So we're not trying to cry, right? We're just trying to let it affect us. Trying to open the door to let it affect us. We're not trying to force ourselves to feel something. We're just opening the door to let it, uh, to let it move something in me. Um, not thinking too intellectually about what they're saying, about what's going on, but, but uh, paying attention to the feelings of the people who are there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of strong feelings in the Gospels. A lot. And, uh, and we'd be missing the point if we didn't, if we didn't let them move us. So, yeah, I already said that. The difference between sympathy and empathy, we already talked about that. Um, it's one thing to understand how badly it hurts. It's another thing to be with the person and feel how badly it hurts. It might be it might be interesting to try to try allowing it to happen even uh, when the person is wrong. So what they speak about in the the course is um, how empathy means experiencing the world of the other person, fully experiencing the world of the other person. So in spiritual direction, you might have times when someone comes in and they're they're uh, like I'm talking to a young person who's doing drugs, you know. And their parents don't want them to do drugs anymore. And they feel so judged and they feel like it's so unfair. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, your parents are right. <laughs> but but I've got I've to allow myself to experience their world, you know? I've got to allow myself to understand how rotten it feels to be judged all the time by your parents, you know? Um, and, then, and them experiencing that compassion and that understanding will help them to open the door to advice that later I might be able to give. Even though, even though I might try to let them discover it on their own, you know, it's a good chance that deep down they know they don't really want to be doing it. So you just have to help them discover that, right? So, um, so, so that might happen in the Gospels. You know, you might be meditating on uh, on a passage about sin and someone who's who's sinned and trying to understand, like like in in the the fall of Adam and Eve, what's going on inside of Eve. In the moment she starts to doubt God's God's love and God's goodness, you know, why would she why would she believe the serpent when he says, "Did God really say that?" You know, and then and like like experiencing that, experiencing what's going on inside her heart and her feelings, might like awaken the fact that that happens in me sometimes. You know, I might realize that's that's uh, happening to me. Now you might think that's dangerous, like. If you're meditating on Judas as a moment of despair and suicide, you don't want to get too far into it, right? And it's true, like even, even in, in, in therapy and counseling, you're not supposed to uh, identify fully with the person. You have, to, you have to keep it always as if you were that person. I'm feeling this as if I was 
Eve or Judas. I'm not, right? I'm, I'm applying empathy. I'm trying to feel what they feel, but I'm not. I'm not actually doubting God's goodness. I'm not actually despairing in God's mercy. Um, I still know who I am. I still know the, the truth of God's love. Keeping balance there. There's one last paragraph of this talk, and it's the best part, the empathy of Christ. So exercising empathy is like Christ. Um, and it's not just because he shows so many examples of it throughout the Gospels, where he's moved by people's sorrows or he's uh, brought to tears even. He weeps for Lazarus. Um, he wept over Jerusalem. But... Uh, Empathy is the essence of his whole mission on earth. Christ who, uh, you know that image of coming down into the hole? Yeah. We're going to do a meditation on the incarnation. Christ contemplating the world before him, full of sin and evil and brokenness and hurt. And instead of fixing it from the outside, he says, I'm going to go down there and be there with them. I'm going to go down there and experience it with them. I'm even going to take on a human body with human emotions so that I can feel everything that they're going through. It's, it's the best example of empathy you could ever have. Right? The best, most amazing, most beautiful, um, most moving story of love, which we're going to contemplate more in these days. <laughs>